This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on the podcast today, I got recurring guest Ryan Talbot, Buffalo Bills reporter at NewYorkUp.com. We'll talk about the NFL Combine that just wrapped up. I'll get Ryan's thoughts on a few guys that really impressed him. Maybe a couple he was disappointed in. Ryan also put out a brand new seven-round Buffalo Bills mock draft on Monday. We'll run that down. I'll get his thoughts on some of those picks. We'll also talk plenty of Buffalo Bills, free agency, lots of stuff with Ryan Talbot. Again, current guest, really good reporter. Also coming up today on this podcast, Debuting a new segment called Random Thoughts. I'm going to have takes on the Buffalo Sabres' latest implosion. LeBron James, Jerry Sullivan going to Channel 4. Fan reaction from that. Plenty more. I'll have all that for you coming up in just a few minutes. Before that, I want to let you know that today's show is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings, such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there. That's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference has literally been remarkable night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls, decide it looks pretty, and call it a day. It might look the part, but it's not going to improve your sound. Visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound. Do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, everyone. Episode 199, Moran Analytics Podcast. Thank you, as always, for continuing to listen and download the podcast. It means a lot to me. Uh, quick programming note. So we're Tuesday and Friday, like usual this week. But in addition, tomorrow, Wednesday, I'm going to have a special episode. It's the 200th episode of this podcast. And I don't want to give it away right here, but let's say that my guest is one of Western New York's heaviest hitters. So be sure to look for that tomorrow. Later on this episode, I'll have a segment called Random Thoughts. But before that, let me bring out my recurring guest today. Buffalo Bills reporter for NewYorkUp.com and a guy who I think has really made a nice name for himself over the past few years writing about the team, Ryan Talbot. What's going on, buddy? How you doing? 
Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I love having you on, man. I think this is like the fourth time. Although the first since I, I looked it up, the first time I've had you on was since the end of Bill's preseason. So I didn't get you on during the regular season, but this is your fourth time, which is kind of funny now that I'm thinking about it. There's only a couple people I've ever had on this podcast four times. You're one of them now. And actually, so is your colleague, your boy, Matt Perino, too. He's been on four times. So obviously, I'm a big fan of what you guys do. <laughs> hey, I'm honored. And I know Matt is, too. So we really appreciate that. Well, I'll tell you what. We're going to talk some combine stuff. Maybe you did a mock draft that you put out on Monday. We're going to hit on that. Talk some Buffalo Bills, obviously. Before that, though, like I said, so since I haven't had you on since the start of the regular season, you got an opportunity to do something that you hadn't done before. The Bills obviously made the playoffs for the second time in three years. They went to Houston and you got your first taste of being a media member for covering an NFL team on a road game. You and along with Matt, obviously got to go to Houston and cover that game. I don't want to talk about the game. That's old news, but I do want to ask you, man, what that experience was like for you getting an opportunity to go to Houston, be an accredited member of the media and cover an NFL playoff game. Yeah, it was a pretty surreal experience considering you know, the journey I, I started out with here is kind of more of a hobby and then how it's turned into a career. Uh, it, it played the experience, you know, uh, midway through the season where the Bills were off to a pretty good start, we kind of sat down and said, you know, if they make the playoffs, we should both go and cover it. And credit to NewYorkUpstate.com, Syracuse.com, Syracuse Post Standard, uh, they were all for it, saying, yeah, absolutely, you should both cover that game if, if that comes to fruition. And, and sure enough, it did. Uh, and we found out it was going to be Houston. Um, you know, I, I met up with Matt at the stadium. We covered the Bills practice that day we in the locker room, uh, went out for lunch. And then before we knew, we were at the airport and uh, in Houston. It, it was it was pretty awesome experience. I hung out a lot, obviously, with Matt and then Marcel from ESPN. Great guy. Uh, we, we hit up a lot of different food spots, um, went out that evening before the Bills playoff game, had, had just a really good time. And in terms of uh, the game itself being up there, it, it was. It was kind of, uh, like I said, going back to surreal, uh, being up there in the press box, uh, looking down on the field, seeing everything as it unfolded, um, knowing that I, you know, I'm very lucky to be there as, as not everyone gets to experience something like that in their career. Let alone a playoff game. I mean, covering a regular season game is cool enough. Having an opportunity to cover a playoff game has to be really cool, too. I'll tell you why, man. And I'm not just saying this. I'm not patronizing you because you're my guest and you're on this podcast. This is a credit to you because I feel like you've come a really long way over the last few years writing about this team. You went from being what I would consider, and this is no insult to anybody whatsoever, but just a typical Bills blogger, you know, somebody who wrote about the Bills online and pretty much that was it. You've went from that, but now I feel like you've become one of those guys that Bills fans can trust for good reporting, for some news. You do break some news from time to time as well. You have really good insight. So I feel like, again, and I'm not disrespecting bloggers whatsoever. I'm one myself, but You've really taken that next step, and I think you've become one of those guys who's become a trusted source for quality Bills news. Props to you, yeah, man. Well, I, I greatly, I greatly appreciate it. You know, I'm no Adam Schefter by any means, but I, I do try to break news when I can. It's a pretty tough to get those uh, sources, get those people that that uh, 
trust you and that, that you can trust back. But, it, yeah, it, it does feel like I've come along long way. So I, I really do appreciate those kind words. Oh, no problem, bro. And I'll tell you what, too. I know you're also a fan of The Office. We've talked about that a little bit on the podcast before. I'm binging it again. <laughs> I, I can't help myself. I went on. I wasn't going to do it. I looked at a bunch of different shows. And sure enough, I ended up starting yet another binge of The Office. I think I'm at, I'm at season five right now. Pretty deep into season five. Right before Michael quits. I'm at the episode where the, I just left off earlier, a couple hours before we started taping, where Michael and Pam are on that lecture circuit. And they yeah. had seen Karen, who's pregnant and married. And that was a big relief to Pam because they, you know, reconciled their difference. And she brought up, or that made him think about Holly. Now, I didn't get to that episode yet because it was a two-parter, but this is the one coming up where he goes to her desk and she, he pulls, uh, I think it was an email or something like that. And, she, and Pam, you know what she says. Ultimately, of course, it ends up to him meeting with David Wallace and him quitting over that. But uh, yeah, so I'm binging it again. I can't help myself. I'm a glutton. Oh, I, I don't blame you. Every time I go into Netflix, I do the same exact thing. I look at all these other shows, and then I just end up watching The Office. Um, and it's funny because I love the Michael Scott Paper Company episodes. So I was recently watching those for probably the hundred thousandth time. Running around <laughs> there, um, I was just watching Pretzel Day, you know, Comedy Central. That's on a few nights a week at Comedy Central, and I was just check over and see what episodes are on there. And then I've actually gotten into collecting those uh, Funko Pops for the Office characters and. Um, that's kind of come a cool little hobby because my kids like those are the wrestling ones. The what do you Potter, got? So. What do you have so far? Oh, I have a few different Dwight's. I have the one where he has the, the dummy mask on his face. Uh, I have one from a comic con that was where he's holding his bobblehead. I have Kevin with his chili, uh, Daryl, Jim, Toby, and Michael two pack. Uh, but they, they keep coming out with more and more. So pretzel day Stanley's coming out soon. Uh, that one's coming out in April. And then they have Florida Stanley coming out in this summer and a lot of other really good ones. So they, they keep making them, so I'm sure I'll keep buying them and adding to the collection. Yeah, that's cool. I don't have any of those yet. The only in fact, the only thing I do have, I mean, I have some office um, T-shirts and stuff like that. I'm actually looking at it right now as I talk to you. My daughter for Christmas bought me a Dwight Schrute bobblehead, and I'm actually looking at it right now as I'm talking to you. But yeah, man, it's a good show, and I'm glad. There's no shortage of people in the media, let alone just fans, period, who love that show. So it's pretty cool. It's almost like Wings. I can get on this podcast and talk with pretty much anybody about Wings, and it's almost kind of <laughs> the same deal when it comes to The Office, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, oh, that's yeah. that's not why people are tuning in today, okay? We want to talk some football. NFL Combine just wrapped up. I'm going to be honest with you, Ryan. I watched exactly zero, zero minutes of it. None. Instead... I don't, seriously, I, I rely on tweets and reports from guys like yourself. So let's spend a few minutes talking about it. I want to know a couple guys that you might've been most impressed with at the combine, whether it's a guy who is going to be a high first rounder or mid first rounder, or maybe not even a, a first rounder at all. Guys who might go later on in the draft. Were there a couple guys that stood out to you the most? Oh, Absolutely. Uh, you know, wide receiver because that's an area where I think Bills fans are really focused, obviously, in the draft. You, you obviously had your big-name players. Um, C.D. Lang had a really nice performance. Henry Ruggs third, I think, uh, solidified his spot probably in the top half of the first round. Yeah. I know there are a lot of fans hoping that he would fall. Um, I, I thought T. Higgins had a nice uh, combine. I'm, I'm not necessarily sold that him being a good match for the Bills. I thought he did well. 
And then two guys um, that really stood out. One, I'm a big fan of because I'm a Notre Dame fan, Chase Claypool. Uh, he's a guy that they were saying before his performance, oh, you know, he's open to playing tight end in the NFL, and he goes out and he uh, runs one of the faster times at the wide receiver position. He, he shows that uh, he, he could be a mismatch at wide receiver. But if, if the day ever comes where, let's say, he gets drafted, the team tries him at wide receiver for a few years, uh, and, and it's not panning out, the fact that he's open to trying tight end, I think he could be a, just a matchup nightmare there. I, I would like to see him get his first opportunity at wide receiver in the NFL. Uh, but I, I did like his openness and, and willingness to say he'd give tight end a shot. I think he could be an, an elite tight end in the NFL if he ever did make that change. And then Donovan Peoples-Jones, uh, a, a guy that stood out to me from Michigan. You know, if you look at his stats, nothing necessarily jumps off the page, but a, a lot of his stats at college, I think he suffered because of the quarterback play there. I think he's a, a great talent. Um, I wouldn't say a player comparison, but someone asked me today, um, how high are you on him? Because I had him in my mock drafts, and I said, I'm as high on him as I was on Chris Godwin a few years ago, where I thought the Bills should have been looking at him in the draft. So just to kind of put it in perspective, I think Godwin's one of the best wide receivers in the league right now in the NFL, one of the best young, promising wide receivers. Uh, I think that's the same in in terms of what Donovan Peoples-Jones can be in the NFL. I'll tell you, I'm a big Chase Claypool fan myself because I'm a Notre Dame guy. Now, a lot of these guys, admittedly, I watch very little or any of them during college football season. Like a lot of people, I start reading up on them afterwards, getting ready for the draft, watching YouTube videos, learning as much about these players as I can. But that's not the case when it comes to Notre Dame. I I like Claypool a lot. And I've noticed before, at least pre-combine anyway, most mock drafts that I look at, they got this guy going in the middle of the draft at best. You know, fourth round, fifth round, do you think based on the strength of his combine along with maybe the production he had in college, but now that they, you know, all the, all the scouts and the GMs and everything saw him run and that he can move, do you think that he really helped his stock in terms of maybe he goes to a third round or I don't know, even dare say late second round kind of guy? Oh, absolutely. I think he did move himself into the day two of the draft conversation. Um, I think third round is more realistic. I think early third round. I don't think it'll be late third. I think it'll be early third round. That said, going back, if there's a team that feels okay, we like him as a wide receiver, but we also have this opening at tight end, and we think he could be right there. They might roll the dice on him a little bit earlier. They might say, this guy has some position flexibility. He's a guy that, um, you know, we don't, we don't want to, you, you don't want to give up on him too soon in terms of letting him play wide receiver, but, you want to find his, his best fit in your offense. And the fact that you know he's willing to move around to try another position, I think that also helps too. I, I think that he probably impressed a lot of people in, in the interviews. I think he did a nice job talking to the media up at the podium. But, yeah, he saved the best for last in terms of his overall performance at the Combine. Now, you mentioned this earlier, and you're 100% right. For Bills fans, at least anyway, wide receiver is definitely the flavor right now, the best flavor Obviously, C.D. Lamb and Jerry Judy, you can completely scratch them off any list because there's not a chance in hell that they're going to even be in the vicinity of the 22nd pick, let alone around that. And I kind of feel like, and you alluded to this as well, I think Ruggs is almost the same. He might not go like top eight or nine, but I can't see him going past 12 or 13. Now, given the bills and, and also this being reportedly anyway, one of the deepest wide receiver classes they're saying ever. So. 
Can you see a scenario? Realistically, I mean, anything could happen. You never know if Brandon Bean loves a player enough, he'll do what he's got to do to get him. But realistically speaking, do you see the Bills moving up from 22 to say if they got to go to 13, 12 to go get a guy like Henry Ruggs? Can you see that happening? Uh, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that it can't happen. I don't know if wide receiver is the position that you do it for, but like you said, if let's just say the Bills say that Ruggs is, maybe they're number one wide receiver. I would not be surprised if Ruggs is number one on some boards, ahead of Lamb, ahead of Judy. I know that might shock some people, but yeah. I, I could see him being a, a number one wide receiver on a few people's boards in terms of his athleticism, in terms of, of what he flashed on, on tape at Alabama. Uh, if he is your number one guy and he is sitting there at in that 12 to 16 range, maybe. Uh, I, I'm just not sure that, that the, the Bills would say this is a, our number one guy. We need to go up and get him because this is such a deep draft. Uh, and, and you have the little discussion all that you could end up uh, taking in, in maybe round one. Maybe he falls off in round two because he was dealing with an injury at the Combine. Um, you, you have a guy like T Higgins that could go even in round two, Claypool. You, you have I mean, people, you, know, you have guys in the third and fourth round, uh, Edwards. Um, you, you know, it's just so deep that I, I don't see them trading up for a wide receiver necessarily. I could see them just saying, you know, if it falls that way and is there at 22, our, our guy, we can take him. If not, we can find someone that's pretty darn close to it at, at 54 and we can take and edge it. Uh, we can take a cornerback. We can take an offensive lineman or offensive tackle with that first pick. So unless uh, that, that player is significantly higher up on, on Buffalo's board in terms of their draft grade, I don't necessarily see the Bills training up this year. Let me preface this, uh, this to everyone out there listening because Ryan and I are speaking right now at the beginning of March, a good two weeks before free agency starts. Whether it's wide receiver, tackle, defensive end, corner, wherever, obviously this is a very fluid situation because we're basing this right now that the Bills don't go out. Let's just say, I mean, it's not going to happen, but if they go out and get themselves Amari Cooper, we're not going to be talking wide receiver potentially in the first round. You know what I mean? And obviously same thing with some other players at other positions. So we're doing this as of right now. Now, those three wide receivers that we think are pretty much unattainable for Buffalo, especially if they hold bad at 22. Now you mentioned Donovan Peoples-Jones the wide receiver from Michigan in the second round. We're going to talk about your mock draft in just a couple minutes. But after those first three guys, the consensus is that Jalen Rager from TCU, Justin Jefferson from LSU, and LaVisca Chenault from Colorado. Those are probably the next three receivers in some sort of order. Now, that's again, that's not a, a unanimous thing there, but that's what most people are saying. Do you see, are there any of those three guys that you like or anyone else not counting C.C. Um, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, or Henry Ruggs that you think is worth the Bills taking with their first pick at 22 instead of maybe waiting the second round and trying to get a T. Higgins or a Donovan Peoples-Jones like you said? Oh, yeah. I think the TCU wide receiver. I think the Colorado receiver and Chanel. I think both of those guys are, are worth it at 22. Uh, I know that, that Rigger didn't test very well at the combine, but he put on a lot of extra weight. Uh, and I think that slowed him down rather than putting the weight on naturally as they do in the NFL. I think he tried to bulk up for the combine and that kind of hurt him a little bit, but his tape, you know, if you go look at the tape, he's a guy that's well worth uh, being drafted in the first round. So I think both of those guys, if you end up taking them at 22, uh, I don't think there's going to be a lot of Bills fans that are upset with it. 
I know there's a little bit of, uh, of injury concerns with Chenault, but, it, you know, a lot of players, there's going to be some kind of history there. There's going to be some injuries. And you sometimes you have to roll the dice on that, especially at 22 when you're trying to find a playmaker or someone that can uh, help your offense take the next step. Now, another position that very clearly could be in play at 22 or somewhere else in the draft would be the edge, the defensive end. Now, that especially will hold true if Shaq Lawson ends up leaving. So, obviously, Chase Young's not happening. Jason's going to be gone long before that, too. There's two guys that, as I look, and I'm looking like right now at NFL Draft Network, their prospect rankings. Now, they always vary in different. No, but no two sites are always the same. But two names that I see a lot are AJ Epinesa and uh, Yatir Gross Matos. What can you tell me about either of those guys? Are, are you a fan of either of them? Do you think a guy like that can be in play at as early as 22? Yeah, absolutely. I actually like both of them. I, I said earlier this week I wouldn't be shocked if Gross Matos uh, from Penn State was the pick. Uh, a lot of fans, well, no, I shouldn't say a lot. A few fans were like, no, avoid Penn State players because of what happened years ago. Oh, Maven. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but not the same at all. I, right. I, can, you know, I hate that. More than one year of production. Um, you know, he looks the part. He's the right size. He, I think he fits really well. A huge fan of Epineza, though. I know, again, he's a guy that didn't test well at the combine, but I go back and I say, you look at the guy's production in college. You look at the tape. It's there. Um, I would much rather draft a player based on production, based on what he did in college and what he did on one or two given days in interviews and on the, on the field in the combine. Uh, is I think you call the underwear Olympics. So, uh, I, you know, I think both of those guys are also in play. I think you could you can swing an offensive tackle at 22. If the right cornerback's there, you could you could go that route. Obviously, other than quarterback or something ridiculous like special teams, like a kicker or a punter, obviously aren't going around one. I, I think the Bills are going to be wide open in terms of who they would draft, and they're going to really go with the best player available on their board. I'm looking at Matos right now, Joe Marino's um, report, his scouting report, and the player that he compares him to is Carlos Dunlap. And yeah, I agree with you 100%. I think that most positions are going to be in play, some more than others. Again, we'll see what happens with some of their own guys, who they re-sign, who they let walk, and what they do in free agency leading up to the draft. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about corner, but I will say this. I do very much think that cornerback is a position that could be in play very early in the draft. Again, depending on how, I know I'm sounding like a broken record here, but we don't know yet. We got to see how things play out. Is Kevin Johnson going to be back? Do they address that position in free agency? If they don't and they go into the draft, Levi Wallace locked in as the number two, I think cornerback can be in play as early as the first round. Now, Kuda's going to be long gone. Christian Fulton should be definitely gone too. A guy that I like personally, and there's only a couple guys that I've really spent a lot of time studying, but one of them is Jeff Gladney from TCU. I like him a lot. I think he could be a good corner. Is there any, whether it's him or someone else, is there any cornerback that you really like or even just any corner at all being as high as a first round pick? Yeah, I, I think he'll be gone, but I like CJ Henderson out of Florida quite a bit as well. Yeah. I, I think he's right up there with those top guys. Um, you know, another guy that did well at the combine, you know, he's going to be up there with those guys, but it's Darnay Holmes out of UCLA. Um, yeah, I know you said first round, but if you go down a little bit later, I, I, again, it's not, I promise the people listening, it is not Notre Dame homerism. I think <laughs> Troy Pride would fit really well in with the Bills in terms of their, their zone scheme. I think that really fits his skill set well. 
Um, I, I won't go into my mock just yet, but there's a mock draft. Um, I took a cornerback, you know, a two that I think would be a really good fit for the Bills too. And I think he's a name that some people follow college football play be pretty familiar with. So I think there are options out there, but yeah, they, if the Bills went in round one and went with one of those top guys, they fell that way. I, I think it would be good for the team. Let's spend a few minutes talking about your mock draft. And I want to go right to that first round because this is a very interesting pick to me. Again, you just put this out on Monday. I'll put a link to it in the show notes so everybody could go check it out if you want some analysis of the picks as well. Number one in the first round, 22 overall, was Josh Jones, an offensive tackle from Houston, which obviously it would be the second straight year the Bills took a first rounder from Houston. He's the fifth in your mock draft. I, I think you said he would be the fifth offensive tackle off the board. Uh, what are your thoughts on him? And what would be the scenario where you think the Bills could go offensive tackle. I'm not saying I agree or disagree with that. And again, I mean, what do we know in early March? But some things will have to happen for for that pick to become a reality regardless. So what were your thoughts behind making that selection? Well, you know, I kind of sat there and I looked through each team before I did the first round. I didn't do that, obviously, for every single round. Right. For the first round, I did. And I said, okay, uh, Andrew Thomas from Georgia, he's going to be gone. Wills from Alabama. Uh, Mackay Beckton, Louisville, I should say. And then Wirfs, uh, Tristan Wirfs. I think that if he had, if he could somehow fall his way, that would be the dream pick for Sean McDermott. Wrestling background, Mahler. Uh, looks like he's, he could be a, a day one starter. But I think those four are all off the board. And, and then there is a little gap between those four and a guy like Josh Jones. Uh, there's a guy like Ezra Cleveland who did really well at the Combine who might get his way into that end of the first round conversation. But Josh Jones is really athletic, and I sat there and I said, okay, you haven't heard much on the Quentin Spain front in terms of the Bills having negotiations. Now, mind you, the Bills keep things pretty well uh, away from the media. Things are pretty secretive, so maybe they have had ongoing talks. Maybe they are close. Maybe by the time you know you publish this, they'll, they, they'll have a new contract with the guy. Who knows? Uh, but right now, I'm under the presumption that maybe he leaves in free agency. And to me, that that tells me that the Bills are, are ready to say, okay, we want to take Cody Ford and already move him to guard. We think he's going to be better there. We think he can maul the guys at guard. We think that he can do uh, a better job there. So in, in round one, well, let's get an athletic guy that can play right tackle that can really uh, help solidify this offensive line and really help protect Josh Allen, which I think that should be one of the goals for the, for the Bills this offseason, whether it's in free agency or whether it's in the draft. Find that guy early on. And that's, you know, you, you just mentioned this would be the second straight year that the Bills would have taken uh, a player out of Houston. When they were watching tape on Ed Oliver, I'm sure, you know, they maybe they watched a little bit of, of Houston's offense, too. And oh, sure. were a little familiar with him. Sure. Maybe it's someone that they said, you know, here's a guy we should keep an eye on in 2019 season, so that way we're ready if we want to get him in, in the 2020 draft. So I wouldn't be shocked if they already went into uh, last season here having his name as someone that could be on their radar. I just think that when you when you look at it, there's some edge players that I think are going to fall a little bit. Um, I think there's going to be, obviously, a ton of wide receivers you can get on day two that would be really good for this team. Um, so maybe it's between offensive tackle and cornerback in round one. You take the best player available. And to me, that might end up being Josh Jones. I feel like a guy like Josh Jones, we should know by the start of free agency, if somebody like him will be in play, because I feel like if they re-sign Quinn in Spain, 
that's a that's an indication that Cody Ford is going to stay at tackle. I think anyway, because Feliciano, I I feel like he's played well enough to be locked into a guard spot. And obviously, Spain, if they resign him, he'd be another guard. So that would say that they're probably going to keep Ford at right tackle. But again, we'll find that out in a couple of weeks. Second round, we we talked about him already. Donovan Peoples Jones, you have the wide receiver from Michigan. In the third round, you go corner, and this is what you hinted at earlier. You got Bryce Hall, a corner from Virginia. Tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, you know, there was a time where I think some people thought Hall could be a, a first-round corner. Uh, I think that you, you're going to end up getting a steal with Hall in the third round. Uh, if you actually read any of his scouting reports, because I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm some kind of draft guru. I don't want to insult the guys at, at the draft network sure. who truly do put in all that homework. I, I watch these plays. I watch college football every single week during the season. I know uh, a lot of these guys. Uh, but Hall, if you read any scouting report, it talks about how his skill set is really good for his own scheme. And obviously, the Bills of Sean McDermott's defense, it's heavy on that zone scheme. So if you can get Bryce Hall in the third round, he's a guy that maybe you don't plug in day one, uh, but I wouldn't eliminate it from uh, consideration considering the fact that a guy like Levi Wallace, an undirected free agent in his rookie season, eventually was promoted and eventually saw you know this, a starting role there. I could really see a guy like Hall at least competing for that role, whether that means they sign Josh Norman, whether that means they re-sign Kevin Johnson. Uh, obviously, Levi Wallace, I know he's an exclusive rights free agent. I, I fully expect that the Bills are going to uh, bring him back as competition. So I think there's going to be competition there, but I, I could see a guy like Hall immediately throwing his hat in the ring and competing for that cornerback uh, number two spot opposite Trey White. Yeah, it looks like a good pick, too. I'm looking at the Draft Network site, and they got him ranked as a 68th overall prospect, which would fit right around the time where you have him. And Bradbury's the comparison that Joe Marino has. He's a damn good corner. So if they can get play out of him, that's anything close to James Bradbury. I would happily, Absolutely. happily take that. Uh, again, a, a cornerback that Sean McDermott drafted in Carolina in, in Bradbury, too. So maybe he sees those similarities. Uh, Hall suffered an ankle injury this past season that kind of pushed him down the draft board a little bit, which is unfortunate because he was being mocked in the first round in a lot of these uh, drafts leading up to that point. Well, I'll tell you this. I feel like whether they bring Kevin Johnson back or not, I don't know if it'll be in the first, second, or third, but somewhere I'd be willing to bet some money that somewhere in the first three rounds the Bills are taking a corner. Anyway, you got to trade in the fourth round. The Bills move up. They have a lot of picks, and like you said in your article, they're probably not going to use all of them, so you got to move it up in the fourth round and drafting Bradley Anaya, defensive end from Utah. This is interesting. I don't know anything about this guy, so hit us up. What's up with him? Uh, big winner at the Senior Bowl, actually. Did really well that week. Uh, didn't test as well at the Combine, but you don't necessarily need a guy that tests well. Um, I just feel like he fits really well. I think he's going to be available at the end of the third, early fourth round range. Um, looking like like you mentioned, nine picks. The Bills don't have nine spots on their roster for rookies. They right. just don't. Right. This is a talented squad. So package three of those picks, move up early on in the fourth round, find the best edge available, which I think he would be at that time. Um, he is, he's tied for the uh, most sacks in Utah team history, so he had a lot of production there. He was an All-American in 2019. 
Uh, he was um, the Morris Trophy winner, which was for the um, best defensive lineman in the, in the Pac-12 as voted on by the players in the conference. So has that respect from his peers. And he's not a guy that you necessarily have to plug in because one thing I did point out is I said that if they wait this long to get an edge, that means that Shaq Lawson's back. They'll go in, they'll have Lawson, they'll have Trent Murphy. Um, obviously, they have Jerry Hughes still for a few more years, but he's getting up there. But this is a guy that you can bring along, that you can develop, that you can insert as a rookie uh, in terms of a rotational role. The last couple of guys, you have a linebacker, a running back, and an offensive lineman. Again, I'll put a link to the whole article in the show notes so fans can go check that out. As we turn our attention to the Buffalo Bills, specifically here when it comes to their own players that are already on the roster, free agency starts March 18th. At, well, essentially, it starts the 16th on Monday of March. It's already been reported the Bills are not going to tag Jordan Phillips or Shaq Lawson. Where do you think the team stands in re-signing I would say their core four, the four guys that are the most prominent free agents right now, obviously Phillips and Shaq and then Quinn in Spain and Kevin Johnson. Do you see how many of those guys you think? And obviously it's a little too early to tell. And like you said, they're very guarded. The, the negotiations, if they're assuming there even are any with these players right now, my gut tells me that Jordan Phillips is not going to be back. I think they can find a cheaper replacement because I really think that Ed Oliver is ready to be the man at that position. And I don't think they want to pay somebody six, seven million dollars or more to essentially pay 32, 33% of the snaps. Because I think Oliver's workload is definitely going to increase this year. Spain, I don't know. Shaq, I really would like to see back. And I think the Bills want him back. And then Kevin Johnson, you talked about this. I agree. I think he should be back because I think he'll have a legitimate chance, regardless of what else they do throughout the offseason. I think he'll at least have a legitimate chance to compete for a starting spot. But what are your thoughts with these guys? Are there any that you are confident are going to be back or you're pretty sure that they're going to be gone? Yeah. If you were to ask me right now, I would predict two would be back. I, I'm pretty confident Shaq Lawson's going to return. Uh, I think that they might let him test the market. I might, I think they might say, listen, come back to us. Let us know what you hear. Let us know what you, you're being offered. But I think he wants to come back as well. Isn't that dangerous though, Ryan? Don't you think that's dangerous to let him test the market? We've seen year after year after year, there's always going to be that one team that just throws out stupid money. I feel like they should make a really, if they want Shaq back, I feel like they should make a full court press to get him back before free agency starts. I just, there's too many teams that got cap room out there. You know what I'm saying? No, I understand. And it's a fair point, but I could also see them saying they've earned the right to go out there. You know, that's something that, that there. Brendan Bean actually said following the season, they've earned the right to find out what's out there. Now, if the Bills give him an offer before free agency and, and he feels like that's what his market's going to be, then maybe he signs early. And that's the beauty of the combine because I, I know that there's not supposed to be any tampering going on, but one of the worst kept secrets of the combine is that agents are talking to teams and there's a ton of tampering going on. So as of this weekend, I would not be shocked if Shaq Lawson and his agent have a much better feel for what his market is going to be later this month. And they might go to the Bills and say, listen, here's what we've learned. And I'm sure the Bills heard through the grapevine too what his, his market's going to sure, be. And the Bills sure. might even say, here is what we're offering you. We think this is fair based on what we've been told, what we've heard at the Combine. Let us know. So if, if something did happen tomorrow, later this week, sometime before free agency, it wouldn't shock me just because there is so much tampering that goes on in my opinion, at the Combine, that I think a lot of these players will know going in, okay, here's what we're looking to get. Well, 
Maybe it's a pipe dream. Maybe it's going to be significantly less. Maybe there's a bigger market than they expected. It, it can work every which way. But I, I think Lawson is the most likely return of the four. Uh, then I put Kevin Johnson. I think Johnson will be a manageable cap hit. He'll get a little, he'll get more than what he was paid this year on that one year prove it deal. But I don't think he would break the bank. I think the Bills like him. Obviously, he's very familiar with the defensive backs coach. Um, Spain would come in third for me. But like we said earlier. If he's not back, I think that's almost the writing on the wall uh, for Cody Ford moving uh, over to guard. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see there. And, and then Jordan Phillips, I think, is last. I think he realizes that, like you said, Al, Ed Oliver is the man going forward. He's going to see a much smaller rotational role. So the Bills can't shell out, even even if he's not going to get that top three defensive tackle money, which he called himself a top three defensive tackle. It's not happening. He's not getting that kind of, he's not going to get that kind of deal in free agency, in my opinion. But I just don't see the Bills even coming close to what some offers maybe that he'll get from another team just because those, that role, the, the amount of snaps he's going to see is not going to be significant enough for them to pay that amount, amount of money. Well, I'll tell you what, I fully agree with you, by the way. I think somebody is definitely going to pony up for him due to that nine and a half sacks last year. But here's the thing, team evaluations must be very different than media evaluations because I have seen no less than three major websites that cover the NFL full-time that don't even have Jordan Phillips on their list of the top 100 free agents overall. The dude was second in the NFL, the entire NFL, nine and a half sacks among defensive tackles, and he didn't even make not one, not two, but three different lists or of top 100. He didn't even make the list three separate times. Do you think maybe his stats that some of us are sitting there overvaluing him or are these, uh, these websites just a little ludicrous because how do you not give a guy who had that kind of production, by the way, in a limited role too, he was sharing snaps with Ed Oliver all season long too. Imagine what he could do if he had more snaps. It, it just seems really weird to me that these websites that cover football don't even have them ranked. I, I, I feel like there's no way this guy's not going to get money, man. No, I agree. Uh, you know, Pro Football Focus, that one didn't shock me. They graded him low all year. They have their own little system that they follow, and if you're not a PFF darling, you're not going to get recognized on yeah. your top 10, top 50, top 100 lists. Um, but, you know, you're, you're right. And, and I don't know if it's unfortunately a case of him playing in Buffalo or maybe some of these major outlets weren't giving him the attention that he deserved. Uh, but he, he should be in the top 100 free agents in, in these other sites just because he was very productive. Um, were some sacks coverage sacks? Absolutely. Were some sacks because someone else was applying pressure from another area and, and it led to the quarterback moving up in the pocket? Sure, but that's part of football. Uh, he, he can't control and say, well, you can't give me credit for three or four of these sacks because realistically uh, he was running away from Jerry Hughes or he was running away from Tamara Bue. No, that's not, that's not how football works. He had almost 10 sacks this year. He had one of his best years as, as a pro, definitely his best year as a pro. And he's improved year in, year out, especially his last uh, season and a half with the Bills. So I think he's going, he, he deserves a, a little bit of a paydown. He'll get as much as maybe he's expecting. Uh, but to not have him in the top 100 list is a bit of a slap in the face. It really is. And of those four guys, for me, the most fascinating free agent might actually be Spain because I think it's going to set a domino for everything else that happens. And you kind of hit on that. If Spain is back, that leaves Ford at tackle, I think for sure anyway. And at that point, I mean, you got Inseki back. 
May as well sign the Adrian Waddle because if you do that, you pretty much could take this entire offensive line and just run it back from last year. Would you hate that or do you really, and I don't know how I feel, but do you really hate Cody Ford at tackle to the point where like this dude needs to be a guard? Because if that's the case and you can see you later, Spain's not coming back. No, I'm not at that point with Cody Ford. And continuity's never a bad thing. You, you came out there a second season together, and I think it's even better for the unit, quite honestly. You know, here, here's the thing about a guy like Cody Ford. Think about how long his season went last year, his college, his uh, last college season. They, they went pretty far, obviously, as, in terms of, of the regular season there, the playoffs as well. And then as soon as that's over, you're, you're automatically training for the NFL draft. So you're training on your own, you're training with other people, you're getting ready for these different goals, uh, and you're getting ready for uh, the combine. You're not necessarily, you're, you're pretty wiped out, I guess is the best way to say it, by the time you actually get drafted. Yeah. A- and a lot of those rookies, they, they struggle in year one, especially offensive linemen. Uh, but year two, I, w- I would actually be pretty intrigued to see Cody Ford at tackle it this year. Because he's has he has the whole offseason to bulk up, to add muscle to his frame. He knows um, what to expect in terms of his opposition based on his past years of rookie. I could see him taking a pretty big step from year one to year two in tackle. So I'm not writing him off in the least bit. Uh, and I would actually be pretty intrigued to see him get another year at tackle. So whether or not that happens, we'll see. But you, you have to kind of think about these college players and how a lot of them even hit a wall in their rookie year just because they're, they're, they're run so hard during the draft process that it's like they don't really have that time to, tra- uh, to train, but also to, to rest and get ready uh, for the next year, which he can obviously do this offseason getting ready for his second year in the NFL. Well, I'll tell you this. Unlike the Buffalo Sabres organization where I don't trust anything that they do, I don't trust any evaluations that they make, for the time being at least, I have confidence and trust in this organization. And if they conclude that Cody Ford is good enough to play tackle, I'm going to buy into it, at least for now anyway. I feel like they're definitely going to make changes at wide receiver. There's definitely going to be changes coming at defensive line, defensive end, possibly tackle as well too, probably a corner. So if there's a position or two on this team that they can keep intact, I would be happy to see the entire offensive line back because I don't think it was that bad last year. And uh, plus Morse was not completely healthy. And, uh, you know, maybe he will be this year, and I think that line could be even better. In terms of cut candidates, Croft and Murphy are probably the biggest two, but do you feel like that's kind of like a wait and see? There's no, obviously, the Bills are third in the NFL in cap room, so there's no price they need to cut anybody from this roster right now. I don't care how much money they make, but a guy like Croft, I kind of feel like, let's see what they do if they upgrade at tight end. Obviously, they tried to get Greg Olson. Obviously, I think if Olson would have signed, that would have meant Deanna Croft. But they haven't done anything yet, so there's probably no rush. In terms of Trent Murphy, I would say maybe I think if they re-sign Shaq, that ultimately could lead to Murphy going if they take a defensive end pretty early in the draft because Murphy, you're going to pay $8 million to be your fourth end. I just don't see that happening either. But those are two guys that I could think of that would be the biggest cut candidates. But I don't see any cuts coming right now because they don't need to. No, I agree. Nothing before free agency. I'm pretty surprised. Um, you know, you mentioned Cross with the whole tight end scenario. I agree that had Greg Olson signed, he would have been the odd man out. He would have been released. Um, Murphy, you know, you, you don't get rid of him now because there's already a, a hole at defensive end in terms of, of 
getting after the quarterback. So you're really saving then all of a sudden it's even worse uh, in terms of your need, in terms of maybe having to overpay for whoever ends up hitting the market. Because a lot of these players are getting tagged and uh, or even could re-sign at big deals with their current teams before a free agency. So I, I don't think there's going to be as, as much of a market out there as uh, what people have been hoping for just based on the fact that we're seeing the tag getting used by a lot of these other teams trying to retain those edge rushers, those defensive ends, those players that can help help you out. So, you know, Murphy, uh, his contract coming to an end. He did come on a little bit at the end of the year. I know the regular season finale against the Jets doesn't account for much just because their line isn't, wasn't anything to write home about. But he, he had a pretty nice game in the playoffs, too, against Houston. Um, so he at least showed some flashes. You, you keep him around at least until free agency and or the, the, the draft is over. But I'd be pretty surprised if they got rid of anyone before free agency. Speaking of free agency, who are one or two players that you would like to see the Bills target that might be a little more realistic? I think me and you can agree that the Bills' overall philosophy is retain as many guys of your own as you can, supplement through free agency, and continue to build through the draft. So having said that, I don't see them throwing ridiculous money at a guy like, say, I've talked about him a couple of times, but like Amari Cooper, I don't see that happening. I, I, I could be wrong. You know what I'm saying? Or like a Derrick Henry, like a running back like that. I don't see them breaking the bank for a free agent. So who are one or two guys? And maybe I'm wrong though. For now, if I am, by all means, let me know, man. But uh, who are a couple of free agents that you could see the Bills targeting that you would like to see the Bills target later this month? I'll give you about a handful. Uh, I think Mario Addison is a player that I could see them going after. Uh, obviously, Carolina guy has experience. Knows Sean McDermott fit, uh, fills a need and won't be breaking the bank uh, at that position. Uh, Brian Balaga might be the the biggest name of my handful, just because I still think there's going to be a market for him where he might cost a little bit more more money than the Bills would like, but. Sure. Uh, he's a guy that I think could sharp that offensive line, especially if you want to move forward over to guard. Uh, Tajay Sharp, Rashad Higgins, Rashad Perriman are all wide receiver options. I think Perriman could end up getting paid more money than some people are expecting. So I, I listed him last. I can see the Bills going after a Sharp or a Higgins. Uh, both have flashed in their careers a little bit. Both add some talent to the wide receiver room. Uh, obviously wouldn't be counted upon necessarily as a wide receiver, uh, even wide receiver three, maybe to be a wide receiver four. And, and then at running back, a guy like Jordan Howard, who I think would be a great compliment for Devin Singletary. So there's a handful of guys there. Um, the majority of those names that I mentioned, I don't think we be breaking the bank in free agency. And I think that they kind of fit with that, the team concept and they kind of fill uh, some important needs that the Bills have. Well, we're definitely on the same page when it comes to a couple of these guys, because I got two guys and there might not be the sexiest selections for Bills fans. But again, I'm going to go back to the philosophy that if I'm Brandon Bean right now and we keep talking about the Bills for impending free agents, not sure about Jordan Phillips, but I'm definitely doing what I can to re-sign Spain Johnson and um, who the hell's the other one? Check, check Lawson. And I'm also starting to give you some consideration to extensions that got to be coming up. Now, I know the Bills are in great cap state right now, but they also got a core of players over the next handful of months to a year or so that they're really going to have to spend a lot of their money on. So I'm keeping with the philosophy that I really want to supplement this roster. And the two guys that I got is Brashad Perryman, the receiver. Now, I tweeted something about this a couple of days ago. I got a lot of shit from fans. And I'm going to tell you right now, again, I live down here in Florida. 
I get stuck watching a lot of Tampa Bay Buccaneers football. I get stuck seeing a lot of highlights. I get stuck with a lot of talk shows down here and stuff like that. I know he's a former first rounder who has been kind of a bust. Didn't work out in Baltimore, and then he bounced between I think Washington and Cleveland before this year with Tampa. But I'm going to tell you what, Godwin, we talked about him earlier. He went down, and Perryman stepped in those last five games or so, and he was a beast. Three straight games, he had 100 yards. He had like five touchdowns in his last four games. Dude, 6'2", he can fly, he can stretch the field, he can make plays. I feel like he could be, he can make contested catches. I feel like he could be what Duke Williams, what they want him to be. You know what I'm saying? I like that pick a lot. And I also feel like it would be a reasonable contract. Like I think John Brown and Cole Beasley have pretty reasonable contracts. I could see some kind of structure along those lines. And that doesn't exclude you from going into the draft and still taking a receiver early. I'm not sure that 22 would be in play for a receiver if you got Brown, Beasley, and Perryman, but maybe it does. But certainly second round or later in a very rich wide receiver class, you could still go out and get a good fourth wide receiver uh, via the draft. So Perryman's one guy, and then the other guy, and you mentioned him as well. I really like Jordan Howard a ton. I know there's bigger name running backs out there in the market, but I like this guy and I love his fit. I feel like he would be an upgraded 2019 Frank Gore. Dude's only 25 years old, by the way. He's had two 1,000-yard rushing seasons in Chicago, nearly a third. Ran for 24 touchdowns in three years with the Bears. And then last year in Philly, he had about 500 or so yards. And he was a perfect complement to Miles Sanders, who, you know, I see the same thing in Buffalo with Devin Singletary. Now I know a lot of mock drafts. Now you have one much later in your draft. But I see a ton of mock drafts that have the Bills taking a rookie somewhere between rounds two and four. I don't see that. Why would you want a rookie? Devin Singletary is going to be the guy going forward. You want a complimentary piece? I think Jordan Howard is the perfect one. Yeah, I think, you know, you made the perfect argument there in terms of his production. Uh, he's not going to break the bank. He's going to, I think he's going to be a very manageable salary. Right. Uh, that veteran leadership that he could bring to the locker room. They like having veterans at each position uh, to kind of bring the young guys along. Singletary's only entering the year two, so he makes sense from, from that perspective, too. And I know they have T.J. Yeldon, who's been in the league for quite a few years. But uh, yeah. I can see Howard being a nice fit there. Uh, going back to Perriman, as you mentioned, you know, big play guy, 21.3 yard average in Cleveland yards per catch. Uh, Tampa let this past season almost 18 yards. So, yeah, 645 yards this year receiving, 340 the year before that when he was in Cleveland. Um, and then even in Baltimore in 2016 as a rookie, he was averaging over 15 yards per catch. I know that it hasn't all come together yet. He's never had over 700 yards receiving in a season. But he's progressed quite a bit, uh, especially in 2019 with Tampa Bay. Uh, when you consider the talent that they had at wide receiver, I saw him step up a little bit when there were injuries there. I could see him being a nice wide receiver three, wide receiver four for the Bills. Uh, and so, like you said, give him the option of adding that another piece uh, between the first two days of the draft, more realistically, probably on day two. Yeah, no doubt about it. And again, I mean, they would probably make some other depth signings and want probably want to do something at linebacker, maybe get another corner, definitely a defensive tackle, play the three technique if they lose Jordan Phillips. But if you add Perryman and Howard to this team, you got three good receivers that I like a lot. And you got a good running back who's frankly, he's not better than what Frank Gore was, but he's much better than what Frank Gore was this past year or would be going forward. So I would love to take that team and go into the draft with it. Let's wind down with a couple non-Buffalo Bills things. Tom Brady, 
for very obvious reasons, is pretty much dominating the headlines. Do you think he knows right now where he's going to play next season? Obviously, nothing's going to be said. But do you think as we hear all these stories time and time and time again, do you think at this point, we're in early March right now, free agency starts, what? Actually, you could start negotiating two weeks from today. So do you think that he knows in his head right now where he's going to go and he's just, you know, doing, he's, he's just, he's sucking it up for the, for the cameras and the headlines. But do you think he knows where he's going or not? I don't. I, I, I genuinely think he does not know. I think he's open to returning to New England. I think he's open to playing for another team that has some offensive talent that he feels they can win a Super Bowl with. I think that he's going to, I don't think it's going to be a long free agent trek for him. I think he's going to be out there on the market for a long period of time. But I think he's going to at least wait and see what the Patriots do in terms of adding weapons or what they're willing to do and then what they're going, what they would offer him. You know, he wants, apparently wants at least a two year deal from New England to show some kind of commitment going forward there. But I wouldn't be shocked if when free agency tampering begins. He gets blown away with some kind kind of offer, whether it's from the Raiders or uh, Titans, or even you know you mentioned in watching Tampa Bay, maybe Tampa Bay Buccaneers make a play for him. Uh, they have some wide receiver talent, and they are quite quite a bit of wide receiver talent. So maybe maybe one of those teams makes a play and says, you know, we'll give you two, maybe we'll even give you an option for a third. We'll we'll put a commitment in there. We know your age, but hey, one, you're going to sell us a lot of tickets, uh, at least in, in 2020. Probably more than that, but two, you know, yeah, you, you've fallen off a little bit skill wise, but we can you can still win with Tom Brady. So I think he's going to hit free agency. He has an open mind. I don't think he knows where he's going quite yet. Um, I don't know if I think that he knows for a hundred percent where he's going, but I do think at this point he's got a really good idea. And I'll tell you what, I wanted, I wanted to believe. I don't know if I wanted to believe, but I have believed throughout this entire process that it was kind of been a sham and that ultimately he would still end up in New England. But I'll tell you, man, I've heard a lot of very credible reporters, insiders out there saying that they would be shocked. Jeff Darlington from ESPN said he would be shocked at this point if Brady went back to New England. But I'll tell you what, gun your head, pick a team, semi-realistic scenario anyway. If you had to pick a team right now, actually not, not counting New England, because I think at the end of the day, me and you both think Somehow, some way, the Patriots will find a way to keep him and get creative to get some help around him. Let's say if he does leave New England, give me, give me the team. I know there's three or four teams, but you can only pick one. Where, where would you, where would you uh, have him going? I, I guess I'd go Titans. Relationship with Mike Vrabel. Um, the team was pretty close to the Super Bowl this past season. I think that Henry is still in their plan, so he has a, a really good running back to have some young, promising uh, wide receivers there. So I, I think that the, the talent's there the, and the relationship with Mike Brable might put it over the top. Okay, makes sense. I'm going to go the complete opposite, though. I feel like if Tom Brady's primary motivation for leaving New England and going to another team is winning, which maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's about his brand. Maybe it's being in a specific city. But if it was about winning, I feel like he's going to want to get out of the AFC. I don't, Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, I don't think he thinks he can win. At least, I don't think he can beat those teams in the AFC. I think he's going to go to the NFC. And I'll tell you, I had a dark horse team until I realized how shitty their cap situation is. Imagine the Chicago Bears if they had Tom Brady. All the talent around them, that defense, imagine if they had Tom Brady. But the problem is, 
They're only $16 million under the cap, so there's no way that'll work. Uh, so I've thought about it, and I'm going with Tampa Bay. I know that sounds crazy, but I think if he leaves New England, he's going to end up at Tampa Bay. Think about it, and you hit on a couple of these points. You got Evans and Godwin, quite possibly the best wide receiver tandem in the NFL right now. You have not one, two good tight ends. O.J. Howard, you got Cameron Brait. You got a good coach in Bruce Arians. Now, I know Brady doesn't necessarily fit his system, his style, but I'll tell you what, if it's Tom Brady, you'll find a way to get him. There's a lot of talent in Tampa. I think they got maybe the fourth or fifth, something like that. They got a ton of cap room. They could sign him. They could add more around him. And again, they already got a lot of talent, dude. That team, and plus, again, in the NFC South, I know the Saints are good, but Tampa's that kind of team. Every year we see a team basically come out of nowhere and go from like worst to first or have a losing record, and now they're in the playoffs. Totally can see Tampa. Again, being down here, I can't tell you how many times Jameis Winston and his interceptions cost Tampa Bay a win. I mean, he was pretty much spotting a team seven points every week throwing a pick six. You know what I'm saying? If you get Tom Brady on this roster and there's a lot of talent here, plus they got the 14th pick of the draft, so they can go out and get themselves another instant starter. If he leaves and he really is about winning, and wants, I think he needs to get out of the AFC because I think the AFC as a whole has got better quarterbacks and better teams right now. I'm going to go with Tampa Bay, man. I'm going to go with the dark horse. Yeah, I like it. I mean, you, you lay out a lot of reasons why it makes sense. Uh, if he's looking for a wide receiver tandem, it, it's hard to find a better one than that. So I think it makes plenty of sense. Last question I want to ask you. You're feeling I'm potentially having a 17-game schedule and also seven playoff teams per conference. Now, the latter seems extremely likely to happen. The former, we don't know quite yet. But what would be your thoughts on a 17-game schedule? Do you love it? Do you hate it? I'm indifferent to the 17-game schedule. I, I understand why the players hate it. Um, and, you know, I, I'm understanding completely where they're coming from. So in that regard, you know, they're already putting their bodies quite a bit in the regular season. Then some of them have playoffs and make a long run there. Um, it's got to be worth their while, whether that means they're currently playing or post-career. So hopefully they can get that all worked out. I get it. Add some extra drama to the league. Uh, as if there's not enough already, but make it so that way there's that 17th game that can even help you with uh, dealing with some of the tiebreakers, things like that. I, I love the playoffs. You know, I know that's not for everyone either, but I think it gets you one step closer to the Bills hosting a playoff game sooner rather than later. Um, you know, you, you have the one seed that'll get the round one by, so then you'd have two versus seven, uh, three versus uh, six, and then four versus five. So you have three different teams hosting those wild card games and, you know, realistically, if Buffalo keeps on the, on this trajectory that they're on now, I could see them being one of those teams in the near future that would be hosting a playoff game. And that's something I think the fans of the, uh, Buffalo deserve. They deserve to have a home playoff game where they can go rowdy, they can get nuts for it. And I think that the seventh playoff team allows that to become a uh, more distinct possibility sooner rather than later. You know what? Actually, I got one last thing for you, Ryan, because you're one of the very few people that I have on the podcast that shares my like for wrestling in WWE. Very rarely do I get an opportunity to talk any wrestling with anyone on this podcast. But real quick here, it's WrestleMania season, which by the way, I will be there next month in Tampa. What do you, how do you feel about what's going on right now? Now, I know there's one thing that me and you disagree with for sure, 
But that Saudi Arabia show last week, which I think is an absolute travesty and a disgrace, and I hate the fact that they go there twice a year now. But you take guys who have been the backbone of your company all year long, and this is not just this year. This is like every year you get to WrestleMania season and suddenly the old guys come back and just squash them. You know, AJ Styles is a workhorse. What happens last week? Undertaker comes out, choke slams him, and bam, That see you later. They've spent a lot of time building up Ricochet over the last several months. He got destroyed in just a couple minutes by Brock Lesnar. And then, of course, Bray Wyatt, who kicked out of about a billion curb stomps against Seth Rollins not too long ago, takes one ugly-ass jackhammer from Goldberg and loses the title. Now, I know that led to a big match for him at WrestleMania, but he could have still done that being the champ as well. I have a problem with that. I know you liked it, so we disagree on that. But it's like, why does Vince McMahon continue to bring out these guys at this time every year, which is cool, but doing it at the expense of workhorse wrestlers and making them look really weak? Because now I have a hard time. I'm sure The Undertaker and AJ Styles are going to have a WrestleMania program. After seeing them get squashed, I have a hard time believing that AJ Styles can beat him. I can't look at Ricochet the same. I mean, I can't take him serious after seeing what happened to him this week. Even Bray Wyatt looked weak to me, losing to a a simple jackhammer after everything else that he's kicked out of over the last few months, man. I hate it. What's your thoughts? Well, you know, of the three, I hated the Ricochet loss the most. I knew he wasn't winning, but even the promos, the packages where he says, why not me? You know, don't, don't make him look that weak. I always said, uh, I was talking to my brother actually, after I said, you know, have Ricochet come out first. His Lesnar's coming down to the ring. Ricochet just goes, fires off the ropes, jumps over him, takes him out down there. At least get some offensive moves sure. on the outside. Uh, don't make it that bad. That one I hated the most because, like you said, it's hard to bring him back from that. Uh, AJ Styles, I, I didn't mind that because it's going to lead to a WrestleMania program. It's not that he was tired out from that gauntlet match because he had a pretty easy goal of it based on how everything worked out before that. But you could, you could kind of say he was shocked, he was stunned, he was distracted by the referee that I don't think he shouldn't be in there. Um, I think that I'm, I'm at least intrigued to see if Styles can get a good match out of the Undertaker at, the, at this age. And I think he can do it, so I'm intrigued from that regard. So that one I didn't mind as much. And then when we, you and I different. I, I wasn't a fan of necessarily Goldberg being the guy to take the title off of Bray Wyatt, especially because he's getting winded after a three- to five-minute match, uh, like extremely winded. So it makes me wonder what kind of match he's going to have with uh, Roman Reigns WrestleMania. But I was 100% in favor of getting the title off of Bray Wyatt. And, and here's a few quick reasons why. One, this guy is, should be a special attraction, kind of like The Undertaker in his heyday. Yeah. He, he gets this brilliant character. Uh, he should be brought out for special occasions. You want to have Bray Wyatt dress up in the sweater vest and have him wrestle as that Bray Wyatt a lot? Fine, all for it. But bring out the fiend with the, with a lantern of the face, the mouth, and the light. Uh, bring out the red lights, which they stopped doing there too a while ago. Uh, but bring all that out for a special occasion. Make it feel like something uh, important, something special. I'm not a fan of Bray Wyatt in the ring. I feel like he's a very average worker at best. Uh, I feel like he needed Daniel Bryan to carry him in a few matches. Obviously, Seth Rollins. He's a great worker. I thought the program with the Miz was pretty bad because I think Miz is kind of in that same uh, category as why where they, they can be a part of a good match, but they need someone to kind of get the best out of them. So I, 
he, brilliant promo guy, brilliant with creating this character, but I wasn't enjoying the, the actual wrestling with Wyatt, especially when you mentioned he's taking um, 20 stomps to the head. He's getting hit with some kind of sledgehammer, and he keeps getting up, getting up, getting up. Well, if he's going to do that to the previous champion, Seth Rollins, how's anyone going to beat him? So I get that the way Wyatt, or the, Wyatt lost to the Undertaker, or I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, to Goldberg, made it look pretty strange, but I also thought they made him look a little bit too invincible, um, where you can't do that if, if they're the, the champ, unless you're a guy like Brock Lesnar, who has that wrestling background, who has the MMA background. I get that. Uh, you, you put Bre- uh, Brock Lesnar next to just about anyone, it makes sense that he's going to beat him up and beat him up pretty handily. I don't get that same feeling from uh, The Fiend or Bray Wyatt, so I was happy to see the title come off, and I think he can have a really good program with John Cena. I think they eventually want to circle back to the title and do a program with Roman Reigns here at SummerSlam or down the road even later than that. You can. I just feel like he's one of those wrestlers that doesn't need the title because of the character itself. Yeah, that makes good sense. Now, I feel like the the biggest men's matches at WrestleMania are pretty much going to be the younger guys going over the older one. Like, I'm very confident that Roman Reigns is going to beat Goldberg. I'm pretty confident, in fact, more than pretty confident, that Bray Wyatt will beat John Cena. John Cena will put him over. And then I think Drew McIntyre, I think it's everything's leading to him being the one to take down Brock Lesnar and win the title. I'll tell you, as a wrestling, because I am still, I'm annoyed, but I am still a wrestling fan. And I like matches where I don't know who's going to win. And I feel like when it comes to WrestleMania, at least as of right now, the two matches that I'm probably looking most forward to see for that reason alone are two of the women's matches, Charlotte Flair against Rhea Ripley and Becky Lynch against Chain of Blazers. That's how it's going to end up playing out. I mean, it's not going to be official to Elimination Chamber, but that's how it's going to play out. Those two matches, I don't know who's going to win either of those, and I like that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I, I'm leaning towards Ripley beating Charlotte Flair, really putting her on the map in that regard, uh, really legitimizing NXT in that regard, which they really did go above and beyond trying to do during uh, Survivor Series. Uh, and then, you know, Baszler, I could see her being the one that stops Becky Lynch, takes over the title. I feel like that ring's gotten a little stale as well. Uh, but you're right. You, there's no nothing definitive there. And going back to those men's matches, it wouldn't shock me if they still had Brock win somehow, some way. Um, I, Vince McMahon just loves the guy for whatever reason. Uh, he's not necessarily a ratings draw like a guy like Goldberg and John Cena. I know that they're not, Goldberg um, especially is not really a good worker at this point in his career, but he still brings in the ratings at least. Um, but for whatever reason, he likes to keep that title on Lesnar, even though Lesnar's a part-time guy who you don't see often. So it wouldn't shock me if, if McIntyre doesn't win it there, but wins it shortly thereafter. It's some kind of a little bit of a swerve there. But I'm hoping for McIntyre to win it. He has a great story, come back from, from a lot, where you know at one point he was the chosen one. And now he, he's kind of worked his way back, obviously, in the company and up the ladder. So it would be great from that perspective. I agree. All right, follow Ryan on Twitter, Ryan Talbot, Bills. Lots of Bills stuff there, no WWE stuff on there, unfortunately. Of course, check out com. You and Matt both do really good work. Thanks, as always, for doing the podcast, brother. I appreciate you, man. Hey, anytime.
That interview was brought to you by our friends over at 26 Shirts. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo Bean Design t-shirt is sold every two weeks, and then that's a wrap. That shirt is gone. Here's the best part about what they do. Every single time they sell a shirt, a donation is made to a specific worthy campaign or to a charity each and every time. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate several hundred thousand dollars. It's a number that grows literally every day. Del Reed, his entire crew, they do such an amazing job. They enrich the lives of many people. It's great to see. Not to mention, these are really outstanding looking design shirts. They're comfortable. They're sporty. They look good. They feel good. I have several of them myself. Head on over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. All right, going to wrap up with a few random thoughts. These are just random thoughts of mine that I'm going to have on the podcast from time to time. Got to give a shout out and credit. Longtime buddy Joe P came up with that name for me. Catchy name. I like it. Random thoughts. And uh going to start with the Buffalo Sabres because, man, things have changed so much in just a week. Literally one week ago on my last episode, my last podcast, I had Joe Yurden on, who, of course, covers the Sabres for The Athletic. And I had him on the day after the NHL trade deadline had passed. And the Sabres, they weren't buyers, they weren't sellers. They kind of retooled the roster a little bit, made some changes. They got rid of two forwards, Connor Sherry and Evan Rodriguez. And they brought in Dominic Cahoon and Wayne Simmons, a very grizzled, feisty veteran that was to bring a lot to this team. And what stuck out to me most about the trade deadline was the press conference after the deadline had passed with Jason Bottrell, because he said over and over and over again, the reason why someone like Wayne Simmons was brought in was for meaningful March games. Heard that multiple times, meaningful March games. And I get it at the time. Again, the Sabres were six points behind Toronto for third in the division. Toronto was not playing well. The Sabres were playing well. And it didn't make any sense. It would have been thrown in a towel to get rid of a couple veterans with expiring contracts to pick up, what, fourth, fifth, sixth round draft picks. So that day, last Monday, I don't fault the Sabres for any move that they made. But at the end of the day, meaningful March games, it's March 3rd, and the Buffalo Sabres season is unofficially, anyway, over. It's a wrap. They went from six points down to 12 points behind Toronto. Toronto won three in a row. Sabres won on a West Coast road trip, and they lost three in a row. Just like that, it's over. Nine years now, no playoffs for the Buffalo Sabres. And sure, they went out to Colorado and Vegas, two very tough teams, and they played them very well, at least for 40 minutes each game. But they lost. That's what it comes down to. They didn't get it done. Then they went out and kind of laid a shit bomb in Arizona. Kind of got blown out of the rink. But three losses in a row and meaningful March games is already no more. 12 points back. You have to wonder at some point, is Jason Bottrell going to be around to see this through? Does he deserve to be around to see this through? I don't know if the Sabres are going to fire him. I don't know what the Pacoolas are going to do. But again, things change so quick. Just one week ago, Joe Yernan 
tells me on this podcast he thinks Bottrell's safe, that it would take an epic meltdown for there even to be consideration for change when it comes to Bottrell. Well, we're on our way now. They just lost three straight. They got a lot of tough games coming up. Right now, this is the most disheartening thing for me. You take a guy like Jack Eichel, who's hurt, playing hurt, and it kind of shows his production has slipped a little bit of late. But this team right now is exactly two points above pace of where the Sabres finished when Jack Eichel was a rookie. Five seasons ago, 81 points, Jack Eichel's rookie season. This is year five of a player who is, without question, one of the most talented players in franchise history and arguably maybe even the most talented five years into his career. And they're only two points above pace of where they were when he was a rookie, which came off two straight years of essentially tanking. They're currently 24th in the NHL, guys. So through Jason Bottrell's first three seasons, they have finished 31st, 27th, and they're currently 24th. And there's a good chance with the games left on their schedule that they'll probably fall down the 26th, maybe even 27th in the league. I get that you want continuity at the top. You don't want to keep turning over a head coach every two years a GM every two to three years. But at the same token, man, you got to get it right. And the Bagulas, when it comes to hockey decisions, just aren't getting it right. I thought at the time, Jason Bottrell is a good hire. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sit here and say, though, I knew it all along. I didn't. I thought he was a good hire. But you know what? He wasn't. And maybe now it's time to cut your losses because it's not all his fault, but he's made a lot of big mistakes. I mean, the Ryan O'Reilly trade, that goes without saying, but he's had really poor roster management. He has failed to surround this team with anything other than bottom six forwards. You got a guy in Jeff Skinner who's making $9 million a year, and whether it's the head coach or the entire organization, they're pretty steadfast that they do not want Skinner playing with Eichel and Reinhardt this year. They wanted to spread the lines out more, which would be great, but they have failed to find somebody who could play with him a good second-line center. There's just been so much mismanagement on this roster right now that it's sickening. Sabres fans are sick of it. I don't even consider myself that much of a Sabres fan anymore, and I'm sick of it. So Jason Bottrell, don't know if he's going to get fired, but at this point, I think he should. So on Sunday evening, WIVB-TV Channel 4 in Buffalo put out a tweet making an announcement that longtime columnist, formerly of the Buffalo News, of course, Jerry Sullivan, was going to be joining their team, the online team at least anyway, writing feature stories for the station. And on a personal level, I think that's fantastic, man. I'm really happy for Jerry Sullivan. I think as a person, as a human being, Jerry Sullivan is a great person. I've gotten to know him a little bit myself. He's done the podcast. I asked him to do the show before. And when I did, he gladly did it. No questions asked. I've interviewed several people from the Buffalo sports media and conversation somehow would turn, especially with the football guys, would turn to Sully and to a man or to a woman. They would say 
What a great human being he is. What a great guy. So for me, that's fantastic news. Very happy for him. He deserves to have a career. He deserves to continue it. Let him go out on his terms. But what I have a problem with are the mentions, at least some of them anyway, not all, but some of them from the tweets. Some of you people out there listening right now are just cruel, cruel human beings and need to grow up a little bit. Look, I get it when it comes to Sully's sports takes and some of his columns and some of the things he tweets. I just told you how much I like him as a human being, as a person. And I should also add one hell of a talented writer, okay? There's a reason why he spent as long as he did at the Buffalo News. He's won awards, very well respected, not just in Buffalo, but around the nation when it comes to his writing. But some of his columns, some of his takes, I hate them. I think they stink. I think he's overly negative when it comes to covering the Bills and Sabres. He's so quick to hurl out an insult or something negative about the teams. I get that. I get why you would be frustrated with that. But here's what I'm getting at here, folks. If you don't like what he has to say or tweet, don't follow him. If you don't want to read his shit on WIBB TV, then don't. Don't read it. I get it. There's so many good writers out there. You ain't got to read his stuff if you don't like it. And if you want to sit there and say, I think his sports takes suck. He's a horrible writer. This and that. Fine, I guess. Have it your way. But when you take it to a level of nasty, personal insults, saying the guy doesn't deserve employment, that's where you go too far, man. You try, the guy's trying to make a living. Why are you, who made you judge and jury on if a man should be able to make a living? Whatever, man. Good for him. Now he's got an opportunity to have a big platform, Channel 4, to write some good features. Should be happy for him, at least as a person. You don't have to like his sports takes again. But to sit there and hurl personal nasty insults, it really shows the ugliness of Twitter and I guess the ugliness of human decency at times because it's pretty sickening. I'm glad for Sully. I hope he does well. And if you were one of the people out there who are taking personal jabs at the man, shame on you. Shame on you. Last thing I want to hit on, a little bit of NBA stuff here. If you follow me on Twitter, you know what a big NBA fan I am. I've said it many times. Very unpopular. I've gotten murdered for it on Twitter. I've said it. I've said it, by the way, when the Sabres were playing well. I don't care if they went 81-1 for the season. I would still trade them for an NBA franchise in a blink of an eye. And I mean that. I'll, I will stand by. I'll die on that hill. But anyway, I love the NBA. And there's nothing better than this past week. Two times in five days, LeBron James going up against Zion Williamson. The old guard, the new guard, it's just been so much fun. Advantage, by the way, slight advantage, of course, to LeBron, which I love that. They won Sunday night in New Orleans, 122-114. No Anthony Davis, no problem for the Lakers, no problem for LeBron. Triple-double, 34 points, 12 rebounds, 13 assists. Zion had 37 points. Earlier in the week, they played and the Lakers won. LeBron had 40. Zion had 27 it's just so much fun to watch. Zion Williamson is so good, man. He's going to, if he could stay healthy, which might be an issue with his size, weight, the knee, if he could stay healthy, he's going to be the next guy. He's going to be that next elite player. There's no question about it. But I mean, look, I'm here for LeBron, man. 35 years old. You know, I, I'm going to say this. I'm not quite there 
yet, but I'm getting there where I'm almost ready to say that I think LeBron James is the greatest player in NBA history, and I am the ultimate, ultimate Michael Jordan stan. I am. I love Michael Jordan. He Right now, he's probably not just my favorite basketball player of all time. He might be my favorite athlete ever of all times, but I'll tell you what. LeBron James is 35 years old. LeBron James is playing in his 17th season in the NBA. And he's averaging 25.3 points, 7.7 rebounds, and leading the NBA by a comfortable margin with 10.6 assists per game. That is ridiculous. I don't care if you're 23 years old. This man is 35. He's been doing it since high school. I say this all the time. The one, it's not even a negative towards Michael Jordan, but if you're going to insist on making these LeBron versus Michael comparisons, which I personally absolutely hate because they're not the same type of player, MJ and Kobe were more of the same to me. But anyway, I've said this with Michael Jordan. He wasn't even the top pick in his draft. He wasn't even the, the top prospect either. Hakeem Olajuwon was the guy coming out in the 84 draft. Michael kind of went at least semi under the cracks a little bit. LeBron has been playing on ESPN since high school. No one has ever had a bigger magnifying glass on his career going back to being a 16, 17-year-old kid than LeBron James. And he has over-exceeded the loftiest of expectations throughout his entire career. Now he's 35 years old, year 17. He's still doing it. He's right there when it comes to the MVP for this season. It's going to be him or Giannis. It's a tough call, by the way. Giannis, over 29.5 points a game, over 13.5 rebounds a game. Both are good for fourth in the NBA. And most importantly, the Bucs are 52-8. and eight. So he probably gets the edge right now. But that MVP race, especially if the Bucs slip a little bit down the, down the stretch, it ain't over, man. It's not over. LeBron, just absolutely incredible. He's fun to watch. Probably got a couple more years left. And I suggest, forget just basketball. If you're a sports fan, Anytime you get an opportunity to watch a legend play while he's still playing, you need to do it. LeBron's absolutely still incredible. All right, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Ryan Talbot from NewYorkUp.com. Really good Buffalo Bulls reporter. That was a fun chat. Thank you very much again, Ryan. Also want to thank our show supporters, 26 Shirts, Sounds Assured, and of course, Audimute. Coming up tomorrow, episode number 200, got a really good guest, a non-sports guest. I'm not going to spoil it here. You'll have to tune in tomorrow to find out, but it's a good one. Trust me on that. If you have not yet done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast, rate and review, all that fun stuff. Really helps me continue to grow this podcast. You can also catch us on YouTube, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. Highlight clips from heard and past episodes, some original audio content going up there as well. And of course, follow me on Twitter at PamoranTweets. Thank you again so much for listening. I say it all the time. It really means a lot to me. In a world right now where there's a trillion podcasts out there, when you're listening to this one, uh, it humbles me, man. Very grateful. So, Thank you very much. Have a good one. In fact, again, not too long of a turnover. I'll be right back tomorrow. Episode 
200. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.